0: Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once And all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. It's Prediction Friday on the Inside the Game Guys podcast, brought to you by Cindy Sirfoss, uh, Caldwell Banker, Kane Realtor. She does this whole show every week and also is the uh, sponsor of our analysis segment on the regular episodes. Um, also, thanks to Heritage Digital, who you heard at the top for the news and notes segment of this podcast. We'll go news and notes, then prediction analysis, and then we'll go into the mailbag. Uh, Here later as we wrap up the week here on the Inside the Game Guys podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Um, Hope you guys caught uh, in Columbia my uh, segment today with Will Gunner on 107.5 FM. I'm sure you can catch that in podcast form on their website. Always good to be on 107.5. Back in the motherland uh, with uh, Bill. Certainly have very fond memories of being on the air with Bill over the years, and we had a uh, a great chat today. All right, news and notes: Gamecocks play Auburn tomorrow night, seven p.m. kickoff, ESPN. Auburn coming in late in the season. I don't, uh, I don't think Carolina's ever played Auburn this late since they've been in the SEC. Maybe back in the day they did. Uh, Gamecocks early last year in Game Four surprised the Tigers, thirty to twenty-two, uh, in front of fifteen thousand or so at Williams-Brice Stadium. Noon kickoff, that was sort of the last, uh, that was the last win of the Muschamp era and was a big win at the time. You know, if you remember correctly, the Gamecocks dropped a ridiculously tough one to Tennessee, lost at Florida, beat Vanderbilt on the road, then came back and beat Auburn, then going into LSU the next week. You know, everybody's fired up, sort of like last week, going into Missouri. And the Game Pass got their head handed to them in Baton Rouge, 52-24. And that was basically the final downward spiral of that coaching era at South Carolina. It started then. Uh, come to find out after the fact, uh, we didn't know this at the time just because of the injury-slash-COVID protocols and all that, they were Carolina lost some defensive linemen, I don't remember exactly who, later in the week, like Thursday, before they went to Baton Rouge. So maybe the outcome was more expected uh, than we thought. Kevin Harris had a big day that day down there, but it uh, wasn't a lot of defense being played. But the starter in that game was T.J. Finley as a true freshman, and he had all day to throw and made his throws, and uh, he will start for South Carolina. I'll be sorry, Auburn. Goodness gracious, South Carolina. <laughs> he will start against South Carolina for Auburn this weekend as Bo Nix is out. Uh You know, Finley's played some this year, played against Georgia State, kind of saved the game for him. And we'll dig into him later on analysis and prediction. But he's getting the start. Jason Brown gets his third start for the Gamecocks, at quarterback. Uh, You know, not a lot of confidence uh, heading into this game after what happened last week. And uh, you look at the line and all that, Auburn's a a seven-and-a-half point favorite. Coming in, um, ESPN says 76% chance. Uh, the Auburn Tigers, the second of three straight Tigers, uh, get out of williams Price Stadium Saturday night with a with a win. First-time Gamecocks has played Auburn at home at night since the Thursday night game in 06. Auburn was number two in the country. Gamecocks lost that 24-17. Really fascinating game. Uh, I was there. Auburn had the ball the entire third quarter. Seriously, the entire third quarter. Uh, Jared Cook dropped a touchdown pass. Savelle Newton was the quarterback. Uh, that was the game infamously. South Carolina head coach Steve Spurry at the time of his second year said, Don't clap for us when we lose. Uh, I think everybody was just kind of excited uh, that the Gamecocks <laughs> played Auburn pretty close and, you know, could have won the game, uh, at the time. And, uh, Spurry's like, Don't clap for us when we lose. So that was, uh, that was the last time they came to Williams Price Stadium for a night game. Uh, I think every other game since the Gamecocks have been in the SEC has been during the day, and there haven't been many. '97, uh, it was twenty-three to six. I was like, actually at that game too. Terry, Terry Bowden brought his team in. I mentioned 0-6. Was there another one where Auburn came to Columbia? Of course, '2011 was a disaster. National TV, sixteen to thirteen loss. Uh, Auburn, Carolina hadn't played very much. They they uh, in '2010, obviously they played twice. Um, And this is kind of unique in that it's a back-to-back Auburn at South Carolina kind of deal. Last time they went to the Plains was 14, and the Gamecocks lost 42-35. Couldn't stop them. Gamecocks went up and down the field on them, couldn't stop them that game. Uh, But Auburn's uh, pretty much owned the Gamecocks last year notwithstanding. And so we'll see kind of how this year's matchup breaks down. I'll say this, just looking at the numbers and having watched Auburn play uh, I agree they should be the favorite going into this game, but I think there's some ifs. If the Gamecocks, if the Gamecocks can do this and that, uh, you know, there's a shot. It, it's not. It's not. Neither one of these last two games are like insurmountable, uh, but neither was Missouri. So you know, we got to kind of keep everything in perspective here. Gamecock basketball last night, big win in my opinion. Uh, UAB, you can kind of watch them and see they've they've got some ballers. On that team, we know Andy Kennedy is an excellent coach. They're favored in Conference USA. Uh, it's the type of game that sometimes in previous years in the non-conference, the Gamecocks would have lost. And, uh, you know, listening to the Frank Martin comments after the game, watching the game, it, it, it's it's a game where I think, you know, you, you look at it, and South Carolina has a lot to improve on, uh, particularly in the post. Um, and all that. And, uh, you know, Frank kind of laid that out, you know, guys like Wildens Levesque and Josh Gray and AJ Wilson, when he gets back, Brandon Martin, Frank's son started at the four. Keyshawn Bryant will be back. I think maybe can help down there. You know, it, it it's a situation where that's kind of a work in progress, kind of like this entire team. And and, and I'll say this, it, it, it's a team with some, some pieces. I mean, you, you know, you, if you can get the bigs going, uh, you know, it's a team with some pieces. Devin Carter, the freshman, has played really well first four games. Uh, stepped up to the line and drilled four free throws in crunch time. I think that's good for any kind of freshman. Uh, you know, Eric Stevenson's shot was on last night. I told you. And I said this kind of tug in cheek He's going to be my least favorite player. I'll stand by that just because – and that's not saying Stevenson is not a good player because he does so much good. Uh, volume shooters just aren't my thing because I'm like, oh, man, because when they go cold, you're like, oh, you know, and he was pretty cold first three and heated up last night. Boy, when he fouled out, they needed him. Um, He brings a lot to the table, you know, and and as far as the shooting goes, I'll stand by that, but I I love the way he plays, like, with the intensity. Uh, You know, when his shot's not falling, he's still one of the better defenders on the team. You know, I I think that, you know, you get him going – Shooting wise, and uh, get the post going, and and all that. You know, this this team's got a shot. Uh, I don't know. I'm not making any predictions. You take it one game at a time. Walford is next. You got Walford and Ryder. Get to five and one before that two game swing with Georgetown and Florida State, which presents an opportunity. You know, that this team could have a pretty good non conference. And then you get into the conference season and, and 18 SEC games. And I looked at the beginning of the uh, the league schedule, and it's it's brutal as normal. You know, South Carolina's got, you know, a lot of top 20 teams that they play in the SEC early. But then you get to February, and it, the schedule kind of looks more manageable. There's old Miss twice, and Texas A&M, and, you know, some of those teams that aren't projected to be as strong this year winnable I guess is what you call it I mean it's not every game in basketball is winnable I mean you don't you know you, Carolina beat Kentucky at home a couple of years ago uh 75-73 came back I mean it it's uh it's one of those that uh you know you just never know game to game in basketball but uh, I think that South Carolina you know just looking at them these first four games it, it is a team with a lot of a lot of a lot of pieces a lot of pieces now sometimes you know, those teams don't gel right away. Uh, I remember the Eddie Fogler team that was two years removed from the second NCAA tournament bid. Very young. Chuck Edson, I think, was a freshman. You had uh, Damian Kenlaw, those guys. Aaron Lucas was back, I think, for his second year. Um, really good, Jamel Bradley. Really good competitive team, but they finished 15 and 17. I think they went to the semis of the SEC tournament when all was said and done or maybe, you know, maybe the quarters. I'm My memory sometimes escapes me. Uh, I do a lot of this stuff from memory. I don't take a lot of notes. But, uh, you know, so that that that's kind of how this feels, you know, after last year, bottoming out a bit. But you do have some older players. I mean, you know, Levesque is in his third year. Cousinard's in his fourth. Bryant, Keyshawn Bryant, when he gets back. I mean, so – and, and so the transfers are older. I mean, A.J. Wilson, uh, who – Uh, I don't know when they're getting him back, per Frank in the press conference yesterday. uh, He's sick again. He said he felt bad for him, but A.J. Wilson's 24 years old. He's a grown man uh, that could probably help there in the post. So, uh, nice win, uh, I think, for South Carolina, because I I have a feeling UAB is going to go on to do some good stuff this year. Uh, I I like them. Conference USA is – uh, not a terrible basketball conference at all. Um, I think they have a shot to go, you know, make some noise. And uh, I think they're going to the American here. They're one of the teams that got the, the golden ticket to the American conference. So they're uh, moving on from CUSA. But, uh, you know, allegedly, per the predictions and stuff, I think UAB's picked first. And then Western Kentucky, the Gamecocks beat the other day, is picked uh, third, second. You know, so in basketball, as we all know, once you beat a team or even if you lose to a team, you pull for that team for the rest of the year. Even Clemson basketball, you know, you you know, Clemson basketball, once the the two teams play, you know, the Tigers have uh, an ACC schedule that can, you know, if they win their games, they can help the Gamecocks with their schedule strength and stuff. So uh, basketball is just one of those things. You kind of just play a team and then you pull for them. Play a team and pull for them you know, because that's all feeds into the net ranking or the net ranking as I call it net. No, because I don't, I don't, I'm not a big net ranking guy, but uh, you know, it it all helps when you're talking about chasing that elusive return to the NCAA tournament. Gamecocks have some recruits on campus for football this weekend. Uh, So DeAndre Martin who was at the cookout at the end of the summer, ended up committing to Virginia Tech. Uh, You know that job is open with Fuente leaving. He's back. He's been talking to Shane Beamer and Jimmy Lindsey. Uh, I'd put him on flip watch, not flip warning, like I said in the previous podcast, but he's coming in. Xavier Short from Chapin is a guy to certainly keep an eye on. App State commit. He's had a really good year. Uh, 6'2", 215, 4'5", 40-inch vertical, H-back tight end type. Um, James Pierce, the uh, edge rusher from Charlotte, has again said he's going to be at Carolina, but then there's some talk that he may be at uh, Georgia. So who knows? Uh, This was an interesting one. Xavier Simmons, linebacker out of North Carolina, who's committed to Missouri, not sure what's up with them. And the Gamecocks, but, you know, he may be a guy that they're keeping an eye on. Uh, It seemed early like he was pretty interested, and then, you know, kind of fell off. He's from Northwest Guilford and Greensboro. Uh Virginia Tech thought they were good. He commenced to Missouri. Uh, Maybe one of those guys that Eli Drinkwitz had, you know, I guess on, on the radar at NC State, App State, whatever, uh four star linebacker according to 24 7 Sports Composite has him as a high three and the number 13 overall player in North Carolina. So I mean I, I like Xavier. I think he's a he's a good player. We'll see if um if all right, so back back here, he flipped from Virginia Tech to Missouri. So he was a Virginia Tech commit. Will he flip again? Well could the Gamecocks turn him? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see with that. Uh Good player, though. I mean, if the Gamecocks want him, there's really, you know, you you don't want Missouri beating you on a North Carolina kid. Now, because he's already committed, it's it's different than maybe losing it head to head. But uh, you know, keep an eye on, on that one. Demetrius Watson, who's committed to the Gamecocks, will be in class of 22. Nick James, uh, defensive tackle, who the Gamecocks have had in for officials, and I don't I don't really know. His recruitment sort of weird, <laughs> uh, so we'll see. Uh, from the 2023 class, really like Keith Sampson, who's going to be in for the football game. I think he's out of New Bern, North Carolina. Those of you that are asking about Montario Hardesty and his recruiting, he's also from New Bern. He's kind of leading the charge there. Uh, and also Jimmy Lindsay, of course. Uh, Keith Sampson, really, really for 2023. Is a player that that I think has a big shot to be good. Lots of offers. Alabama, Ohio State, South Carolina. Those are his top three allegedly. West Virginia, Michigan. I mean, just you name it. Key Sampson's got the offers. Newburn, Eastern North Carolina, sort of outpost area. Uh, good players come out of there. The Newburn Bears, I think is what, what you call them, including Hardesty. So We'll see what happens there. That, that's, another, that's a name to keep an eye on for 2023, uh, in my opinion. Uh, the, the, you know, you're talking about like a national-level guy. The Gamecocks have some early inroads in with Keith Sampson would, be, would probably be one of those guys at the top of, of the list. So that's the recruiting weekends. It's still, these guys are still getting recruits on campus pretty well. And, 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 I, and I'll say this. Uh, I say this a lot the perception of recruits is always different than the perceptions of of fans. It's not that losing doesn't hurt you in recruiting, because it does. But I think that week to week, you know, the emotions of a fan base go up and down depending on wins and losses and how they play and all that. There's been a lot of of tough weeks this week, even after wins, when, you know, the one-point win over Vandy comes to mind when people aren't feeling too good, recruits don't really look at it that way. Though. They, 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 they sometimes, you know, they'll go watch a game at a stadium and the visiting team will win, but you make a big, big impact uh, because of the atmosphere, because of the, the, you know, they're not really worried game to game about wins and losses. Cause again, recruiting decisions are based on comfort level. Now, does a win-loss record impact comfort level? Absolutely, because some guys want to go someplace they can win. They don't want to go lose. You know, and it's like, I, you know, I'm very comfortable with the South Carolina staff and the atmosphere and facilities and the people. However, you know, I'm ultimately I'm not as comfortable there as I am at School B because of the wins and losses, and that happens. I mean, you know, it, it does. But it's not just based on that you know, these decisions are not just based on wins and losses. I've seen, I mean, I've uh, I've seen Clemson beat South Carolina back in the, you know, before Clemson got it rolling, you know, you've seen Clemson beat South Carolina, the Tommy Bowden era, Lou Holtz, early Spurry or whatever. And then they get to recruiting and Gamecocks, you know, can are winning 50% of the battles, uh, having lost four in a row in that, in that rivalry series. So it's not, necessarily about individual games now when clemson's rolling and winning national championships and game guys are going four and eight absolutely that's a gap you know that's a big gap so you know we'll see sort of what happens uh this weekend on the recruiting trail but i'll, I'll tell you this that as far as just that goes there's not nearly uh, as much negativity as there is with the fans about the offense and all that, you know. And, I, and you have people on the message board too that continuously post that uh, every in every thread, who wants to come here with the offense thinking like that? And, you know, it, chill out. You know, everybody's different. Uh, I do, you know, I, I do. I think the offensive performance this year has made it more difficult. Yes. You know, because you're you're sitting there and you're, you're you know, let's let's lose let's use Antonio Williams and Ole Miss for an example. Now I still think South Carolina's in great shape for Antonio Williams. But you know, Ole Miss has a family connection there, and you watch Ole Miss's offense and you see the starters there losing, and you're like, Well, shoot, I can go play in this exciting thing and South Carolina's offense, and you know, not not as exciting, right? So <laughs> That's a, that's a, that's a point. But, but like I said, again, I'll, I'll back up on, I mean, you know, there's nothing that says South Carolina can't get Antonio Williams, you know, that he's not an old Miss guy, the, not a lean to Ole Miss, you know? So, you know, there you go. So it's not always universal when it comes to recruits. I think that that's uh that's something a lot of people miss, but, Look, it, you know, when, when the team's struggling to score, when you have uh, a game like Florida where it clicks and you win and everybody thinks, oh, they got it fixed and all that, then, uh, you know, you, you feel bad when you go to Missouri and it's the same old, same old. I mean, that's that's tough, especially when you look at the outcome of that game. You lose, end up losing by three. So – if the issues on offense don't happen, you know, then you probably can win an unexpected game, sort of like 2013. But it wasn't meant to be. So, here we go. Time for the prediction analysis segment brought to you by Cindy Searfoss. Uh Cindy Searfoss Realtors. Caldwell Banker Kane. From my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Spartanburg County, Greenville County, Cherokee Union, Anderson, Oconee, Pickens, Greenwood. What else is in the upstate? You tell me. Uh, <laughs> Cindy Searfoss can help you. And you know the real estate market's crazy right now. There's just insanity. 864 414 5271. Married to a diehard Gamecock fan. She's been in the upstate, 35 years experience. It's almost four decades, folks. Uh, she can get you right in the real estate department. C. Searfoss at cbcain.com, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbcain, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Cindy Searfoss, Tallwall Banker Kane Realtor, proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Please tell her that uh, the podcast sent you, that JC sent you, uh, so I can kind of get credit for that. Very thankful for her uh, for re-upping with the podcast, with the sponsorship. Um, she, uh, you know, she's, uh, obviously been benefited by this and she sponsors, like I said, the prediction segment and then the analysis segment each and every episode when you talk about, uh, the podcast. So here we go. Auburn's coming in seven and a half point favorite. Now, look, I watched all of Auburn and Mississippi state last week because I'm a, I'm a Mike Leach guy. Uh, I just like to hear what he says and, you know, we kind of pull for him around here because we like him <laughs> uh, and yeah you know, I'm sitting there and I, I took the over in that game because I thought well you know they'll probably score some points and they say you know Auburn's up 28 to 3 and I'm like well this is probably going to end up being like a you know 42-24 kind of deal you know because with the air raid you know they're probably going to put some points on the board eventually they were moving the ball Auburn just collapsed they could not stop Mississippi State once Mississippi State got the lead, they could not move the ball on Mississippi State's defense when um, they were moving it pretty easily. It was just a complete collapse, and then Bo Nix gets hurt, their starting quarterback, as I mentioned earlier. And then they lost their starting kicker, too, for the whole year. You know, So they're coming in seven-and-a-half-point favorites. They, they want to feel good going into the Iron Bowl. I can tell you that right now. You know, there is the Mike Bobo factor coming in, coming back where he was last year. Very polarizing topic with Mike Bobo. Uh, he's the offensive coordinator for them. Brian Harson also helps with the offense. And, you know, it, it, it's an offense. It looks a lot like South Carolina's last year schematically, but there is some Boise State stuff that they got. They'd prefer to line up and play physical and run you over, but they're also – uh, tricky and creative uh, in the passing game. Everybody's worried about Tank Bigsby, rightfully so. Uh, Tank is a outstanding running back, uh, and we all know who he is because he – South Carolina almost had him, you know, but he ends up at Auburn. Uh, Tank's numbers, though, this year – I wanted to point this out against SEC competition. Now – Look, he did run for over 100 on the road at Penn State. Very good defense there. But, you know, at LSU in a game they won nine carries, 27 yards. Georgia they lost 34-10, 10 10 carries, 28 yards. At Arkansas they won 38-23, 18 carries, 68 yards. Now Ole Miss, a game they won, Ole Miss had some injuries on offense. 23 for 140. So the Ole Miss defense – uh. Hadn't cleaned up the run defense all that much, I would guess. At Texas AM, they lost 20 to 3, 15 carries, 69 yards. And then last week, 16 for 41. So some of these, some of these numbered lines are a lot like Kevin Harris's this year, uh, where they just haven't gotten it going. And talking to people over there, they they don't feel very confident in their offensive line. They never, they never really have. Uh so just kind of like last year, Bolo sort of scheming it up and Their passing game, I will tell you this, uh, and I don't know Finley to Knicks. I hadn't really seen Finley since that Georgia State game. Um, They get creative. They've got some plays that their receivers aren't, you know, super duper, but they've got some speed and some big playability. Uh, And Finley's very, you know, has been very accurate with the football. 6'7", 246, by the way. This is a big kid. <laughs> so, you, you got to get him on the ground if you're pressured. Uh, game guys did not pressure him last year. You know, 17 for 33, 275 yards this year. Uh, on the road in his career, uh, last year at LSU, he nine for, he put up a nine for 25. He put up, a, I think it was against AM, 27 for 42 at Arkansas. They won that game and 13 for 24 uh, in another game they lost. So, and that was at LSU. Not at Auburn. So, new scheme, different scheme, LSU to Auburn. And, you know, I know everybody's kind of quaking in their boots about this guy uh, because of what happened last year, but that was last year. And uh, South Carolina last year against LSU, and and it's probably because the D-line were out or whatever, but they didn't exactly pressure the guy. They kind of just sat back and let them pick him apart. Uh, this year's defensive scheme is a little different. South Carolina's defensive line, as far as I know, is healthy. Uh, barre Birch, those guys, they they have to uh, – barry Sterling, Birch, Strawn, you know, those guys got to get to it. They got to get home in the passing game uh, against Finley, and that's one of the keys that I have here coming up for the football game. Going through the stats – Total offense. Auburn forty eighth in the country for thirty two point nine. Keep in mind, Alabama State and Akron were the first two games, and they they ran up a lot of numbers in that one. Uh, SEC play. They're they're not. They're kind of middle of the pack. Uh, that kind of thing. Gamecocks, of course, have struggled on offense all year. Hundred tenth. Uh, a whopping two hundred and fifty yards against Missouri net. If you take away the fifty yards of sack lost yardage it's only about 300 total d auburn 62nd 374.4 a game gamecocks 45th 354 a game passing offense auburn 42 about that you expect auburn to be top 50 passing offense with 256.8 gamecocks 96 205.3 Pass defense allowed, Auburn's 89th, 243.8. Uh, Carolina's 14th, 185.8. That's yards allowed in the passing game. Uh, rushing offense, Auburn 55th, 176.1. But I just went through Tank Bigsby's SEC numbers. They have another back, a, a young kid that's really, really good, uh, to, um His name. What is his name? It escapes me. He's from Mississippi. Uh, a really good player, but um, oh shoot, shoot! All right, let me see. He played well uh, against. Oh my god! I guess he played well uh, against um, Mississippi State. Let me look at it. All right, yeah. Just uh, it's Jar. Well, I, he didn't play well against Mississippi State. He has other good games. Jarquez Hunter uh, four carries for twelve yards in that one. Um, the big play guys at, at receiver: are Kobe Hudson, and Javarius Johnson. Javarius Johnson had, had it was called a rush, but it was a kind of a swing pass, backward pass from Bo. Really good play design last year for a touchdown. Uh, you know, Kobe Hudson eight care eight eight catches for 107 yards. They've got Georgia former Georgia player journeyman Cal, former five star Demetrius Robinson. Robertson, actually. And he's played his best this year. He's not lighting it up by any chance, but he, he's played his best. Uh, so he's dangerous. Um, they got some guys that can make some plays downfield in the passing game. So, you know, like I said, I mentioned, they're 42nd in passing offense, 55th in rushing offense. So they are balanced, but, you know, they're probably throwing it a lot better than people thought they would. And a lot of that's Nick's. You know, Nick's. say what you want. He's, he's been kind of a guy that's been up and down since he started as a true freshman, but he, he really came on. I thought, against I guess Mississippi State, he was 27 for 41, 377 yards and two touchdowns, no picks, no turnovers. So, you know, Bo Nick's. Uh, I think this is a South Carolina thing where, you know, you look back on last year, and again, it was last year. So, I don't know how much it matters. Uh, The other last year, Bonex did not have a good game in Columbia. And T.J. Finley, the very next week, lit the Gamecocks up. So, you're probably like, here we go again. But that was last year, you know. So, rushing offense, I went through. And rushing defense, this is interesting for Auburn's 37th in rush defense. Only giving up 130.6 yards per game. Gamecocks 90th, 169.1. Yards per game. And uh, that's a concern, I think, because if you're Auburn and you're coming on the road, uh, you you want uh, to run the ball, establish it. And, you know, Gamecocks' run defense is not all that great. Pass defensive, 185 yards a game is not too shabby these days. So, uh, so we'll see what happens when you kind of look at the um, – the uh stats, the, the national stat rankings. And the, I thought that Bigsby – the Bigsby numbers were interesting. Now, so he's averaging 61.2 yards per game on the ground and against SEC play. You take out the old Miss game, it's 45.4. Not bad, you know. And, and look, you, you do have to account for Jarquez Hunter. I mean, Jarquez Hunter – Freshman from Philadelphia, Mississippi. He's 5.8 yards per carry uh, on the road this year, 7.2 yards per carry overall. You know, he uh, he's a guy that can hurt you too. So you got to watch both those guys uh, against the Tigers uh, coming in here this weekend. Uh, Auburn is six and four. They finished six and four last season and fired Gus Malzahn. Parson is in his first season. Uh, Really, kind of has they've really kind of cooled off. Uh, because after the win against Ole Miss, they've lost two straight at AM 20 to three at home against Mississippi State 43 34. They do have some good road performances. The Penn State game earlier this year, when Penn State was ranked 10th, Auburn was competitive. Uh, they went to LSU and won for the first time since 1999, they went to Arkansas. Uh, in a game Arkansas was favored 138-23. Uh so really the the worst showing was in college station in a, in a defensive struggle 20 to three out there where Albers could could they just couldn't move the ball in that football game. Uh and AM's defense, as we all know, is pretty salty. So <laughs> uh that's no no uh no shame in that one. I uh, told you about the Georgia State game where they kind of squeaked by Sean Elliott's group, had had them on the ropes, looked like they were going to pull another big upset. T.J. Finley came off the bench for the Tigers, uh, and they won the game. All right, keys to the ball game as we continue on. Again, thanks to Cindy Sirfoss, Colwell, Banker, Kane. Uh, get get up with her, 864-414-5271 for your real estate needs. Uh, okay, so, number one key back to the core on offense, and I use the pizza analogy. I've used every analogy under the sun. Game has got to get back to what they were doing well against Florida, and that's running, trying to run the ball, being selective with your passes, put Jason Brown in a position where he's comfortable. I mean, he just wasn't. I mean, that didn't happen last week, folks. I mean, you, you have a guy. He, I don't know. <laughs> you, you, I've talked about it. Okay, tired of talking about it. But back to your core on offense. That means run, you know, get your run game. Going. You know, kind of like the Florida game. Back to what you're doing. Don't overcomplicate it. You know, let Jason go play. Let the backs run. Let them eat. That kind of thing. It's going to be hard against a rush defense that's a top 40 rush defense. Um, But, you know, you, you got to go – Mono a mano and and try to get it done. And and look, as good as Auburn's run defense is, uh, I'll tell you this, I don't I don't think they're un in I don't I don't think this is like playing A at N. How about that? So there you go. Number two, and you, you can go ahead and pencil this in for next week, too, against Clemson. And if there's a bowl for that one too, run the ball, stop the run. Period. I mean it's amazing, you know, blocking, tackling. Blocking and tackling play a big factor when it comes to run the ball, stop the run. Uh, that's that's it. I mean, you know, like I said, Tank Bixby has only really one run wild against uh, Ole Miss this year in the SEC. There's been some other games where they shut him down. So, and again, Auburn's offensive line is an improved group, but they've they've been concerned about that spot the whole year down there. So, you know, run the ball, stop the run. Yeah, you know, I don't know if the Gamecocks can run it or, or what, but uh, stopping the run, obviously, on defense is going to be important. The Gamecock defense needs to play – has played better at home this year than on the road, but they need to make sure that they're not getting gashed like they did against Kentucky, you know, in that one with Rodriguez and and, and Smoke and, and those guys. It seems like an eternity ago, um, but it was really, you know, time's really flown by <laughs> since then. Uh so pressure Finley and tight coverage. So so here, here's here's what's gonna happen. You know, with, with TJ Finley in the passing game, what I think Mike Bobo is gonna try to do, and it's what I would do with him, is he's looking at the personnel. Okay, who you know, who can we pick on? This is what good offensive coordinators do. Uh so so who so maybe Darius Rush, you pick on him, maybe you pick on Jalen Foster. If you base it on last year, maybe you do. I don't know. But Auburn's got good, fast receivers. So the coverage has to be there. You know, you can't – you know, you leave your guy, you bust one. Uh, They're going to be playing War Eagle in the um, southeast end zone corner. (laughs) The Auburn band will. Uh, You know, so you got to have tight coverage. In addition to pressuring Finley, you you just can't let him get comfortable, man. He – when he's comfortable and he can sit back there and throw it, he's a very accurate passer, very accurate. And, and he's, he's mobile for a guy's size, but, but he's not going to – he isn't as hard to get on the ground as Bo Nix. I know it's like in, in Gamecock land, it's probably hard to sit there and think about that because last year you had Bo Nix and T.J. Finley back-to-back games and Nix really, really struggled and, you know, Finley looked like a Heisman Trophy candidate. But uh, you know that's just kind of how it is. I mean, GameCast didn't pressure Finley at all at LSU last year, um, so you got to pressure him. And if they're not that good on the offensive line, then there's a chance Gamecocks have good pass rushers. That's uh, sort of the strength of the defensive lines: We're rushing the passer, disrupting things. Um, start fast, and uh, and I, I'm gonna I say this because and look, Carolina to their credit the last two weeks, Florida and Missouri, they've started fast. You know, A&M, some of those games, they didn't start fast. But they've started fast uh, the last two weeks. Unfortunately, at Missouri, you're up 7 nothing. You're down there knocking on the door again, and you have a turnover. So that ended that. Uh, and the reason I say that is because watching Auburn last week, you know, up 28-3, rolling right along, and then they get freaking ambushed. You know, 40 to six the rest of the way. So if you look at momentum, Auburn, you know, you, you get off to a good start against them. It's like, here we go again. Can they come back? You know, if they get down with a backup quarterback and, back, and backup kicker on the road. And, and then red zone. And the reason I mentioned that is because of the kicker. I think you're in really good shape if you're the game tight defense and you can force Auburn into kicking field goals. Even if they make them, that's always a sound strategy to to only give up field goals in the red zone. But uh, it could be an adventure with the backup kicker. You never know. Maybe he's good. You know, Gamecocks, when you play backup players, sometimes they have career games. But uh, I think that field goal kicking is one of those things. You know, on the road, uh, again, if the Gamecocks start fast, Auburn's going to probably start pressing quite a bit. I mean, keep it, this team blew a 28 to three lead last week, lost its quarterback and its leader. And they don't have a kicker, you know, or lost their starting kicker. I'm sure they have a kicker. Um, But I think it's a stance, you know, that they drive the ball, but you hold them to a field goal. Uh, and Mike Bobo's good at dialing them up down there now. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. He's, you know, of all the play colors the Gamecocks have had, uh, since the beginning of the Muschamp era, he was the best once once Carolina got in the red zone at, at going ahead and getting a touchdown. It was like that at Georgia, too. But uh, it is a sound, sound strategy uh, to say, all right, well, when they get down there, we're, we're going to do everything we can to just keep them from scoring a touchdown, let them kick field goals, let the adventure begin. Uh, on that one. Auburn again, according to the SP, FPEI, uh, I think it was was it, uh, FPI, ESPN, 76.1% chance, seven and a half point favorite. Uh, you know, I, and I look at this and, and I understand why Auburn's a favorite, and I understand why people are like, eh, Gamecocks probably can't win this game. But I also think if 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 they were coming in and wearing blue and UK was on the helmet, that even with the success Kentucky's had against the Gamecocks, that or Missouri that that, that black and gold tiger, or even the Tennessee, you know, orange, uh, I think Gamecock fans would probably feel a little bit better about this. One. Uh, but because it's the AU. Uh, and on, came Knox have struggled with Auburn over the years. Believe me, last year notwithstanding, uh, I think there's a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of false doubt out there uh, in terms of this game and the matchups because I I think they match up pretty well. You know, seven and a half point favorite. You may not say that. You know, may say this, um, but sticking true to my script for the year or my my uh, philosophy for picking games. You know, went out on a limb last week, said the Gamecocks would win by a field goal, they lost by a field goal. I've had the spreads pretty good uh, this season. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be a close game. And and I'm going to say that I think Auburn's defense is going to be the difference late. uh, And I think Auburn will get out of town with a 21-17 to win. I I don't really – Think it's going to be a blowout. Now, could it be? Yes. Uh, could the Gamecocks win by 10 to 15 points? Yes. Could Auburn win by 21? Yes. Uh, it's one of those where it's like anything can happen. Both teams have issues. Uh, I think South Carolina people are a little more concerned just because it's Auburn, and Auburn's probably not as concerned because it's South Carolina. The you know, name on the helmet, whatever. Uh, but I, I think Auburn gets out with a win. It's going to be disappointing because you know it's going to be a game where the Gamecocks have had their will have their chances. Uh, but I just can't pick them. I can't pick the Gamecocks. I can't. You know, may pick them next week, regardless. But uh, just can't pick them because I said I wasn't until things got fixed. Things got fixed, and I picked them, and then you know I lost. <laughs> so gotta gotta stick with what what I've been what I've been doing with the picks again. I don't like making predictions, but uh, that's what I did. And I, and I'll say this, you know, one, one one thing to watch beyond the five keys that I had was uh, is, is Auburn and passing downs. I I think, you know, they get in third and three and four can open up the whole playbook. It's going to be tough. Okay. But in third and seven, third and eight, you know, Finley's got to drop back and make a play, and the Gamecocks obviously can impact the passer, affect the passer better than they could last year by a mile. That's that's the Gamecocks game right there defensively. And I think that, uh, you know, watch that tomorrow night. You know, what, what, when they get to third down, if they get to third down, what, what's the down the distance? Because I think that. If you third and six, seven, eight, nine, seven to nine, really, seven to seven and above, seven, seven or greater. That's gonna really favor South Carolina. Third and five to one, that's gonna favor Auburn because yeah. you know, yeah, we'll just give it to Tank or we can throw it or whatever. Um, and that's kind of football one on one. You know, that's kind of a key in every football game you watch, is, is third down. What 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 are not not necessarily the third down conversions. Well, but what what's the down of distance? You know, what are you getting yourself into if you're Auburn, and and what are you facing if you're South Carolina? Uh, with the Gamecocks, I don't know. I mean, I you know, third and three. I don't I don't know. I don't know what works best for that offense. I just you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, but that's the that that's the prediction twenty one seventeen I'll tell you Tony morell from the BigSpur.com, who always has his five keys to victory uh, iconic an iconic piece at this point. he's been doing it for years. um you know I think that uh, I think that you know when you look at it uh, he, he said twenty seven seventeen so seventeen points for me but i I think that uh you know. I think Tony may have predicted a missed extra point or something like that. <laughs> right? So, uh, all right, so there we go. There we go. Uh, again, I, by the way, those of you that follow me on Twitter and follow Inside the Gamecocks on Twitter, at the Big Spur pod, I just retweeted that uh, that uh, piece for that from that, the Big Spur, from 107.5 this morning. So, if you want to check that out. Um, all right, so time for the mailbag. And as always, the mailbag is sponsored by iHelp Consulting. I've told you many, many times about uh, Daniel Owens and iHelp Consulting, and he also sponsors uh, a couple of segments from JB and Goldwater. Uh, He recently saved a customer $50,000. He saved another one $40,000. The average savings is more than $2,000 annually of all his uh, clients, Please, 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 if you in a business, it's it's to your best interest to give him a call. Um, and the good thing about him is if he can't help you, he's not going to charge you. So I help uh is that website to go and hook up with Daniel Owens, a Gamecock-owned and operated company, obviously, internet, insurance, credit card processing. Those are the things Daniel can help you save money on, and he doesn't sacrifice quality. So, like... I was working in newspapers. Oh, the newspaper I was working for was owned by Gannett, which is damn USA today and they're one of the biggest uh media companies in the country. Great benefits, right? Unbelievably good health insurance, all that good stuff. And then, you know, the the new company bought them out. And they were kind of a, a needless to say a smaller company and the benefits were cheaper but the insurance was awful. So, you know, and on a salary like that back in the day, that was bad. Um, And and that's a little bit different situation than what Daniel could do, but you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, cut your people's insurance, your health insurance. And then uh, all of a sudden they're paying higher deductibles and and stuff like that. Your employees aren't going to be happy, but Daniel, he'll find you the cheaper rate, cheaper insurance, won't be sacrificing quality. So call or text him 843 372 5713, 843 372 5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com. Free consultation 843 372 5713. IHelp Consulting. How can I help you? The proud sponsor of the iHelp Consulting mailbag. And we've got several. So um, we had one. All right, Jeffrey. Jeffrey was left over from Wednesday. All right, I am one fatigued fan, Jeff says. We are a much more talented team than we have played this season, and thus a frustrated fan base. I agree on offense, but, I, you know, beware, be wary, Jeffrey, of using the term much because I I, I am not saying this is – and I think people get me wrong because I get into this talent debate with a lot of people, and they think, um, you know, it's this black or white thing. You know, it's like, okay, well – he he's saying the offensive talent is great or he's saying the offensive talent stinks. And there's a, there's a difference. There's some, there's some nuance in there, right? This offense is more talented than it's played period. Um, and if they were running the ball when, when against teams that it, it made sense that they ran the ball against, right? Teams that could not stop the run teams, they had an advantage against. Um, and then, you had teams like A&M and Georgia or whoever, Auburn, Clemson, you name it, who just shut the run down and then, you know, the passing game wasn't going to get them what they needed to get. Okay. I'm there. I'm like, I kind of expected that type of offense and all that good stuff. But it, it, it's better than it should have been. And you say, well, what about when these teams stack the box or whatever? Well, you you, you, you had to figure out how to run the ball anyway. You know, a team stacked the box against you. Oh, and I'm not so sure everybody's stacking the box all the time. I think it may look like it, uh, but some of those plays you're looking and it's like, well, that's not, you know, they're not stacking it. They're just stopping them. He's like, so instead of focusing on the negative aspects of what's occurred this season, I'm going to look forward to better days. Shane Beamer took a job that he claims is his dream job and I have no reason not to believe that. I'm sorry, but how many other coaches have ever said that about the Carolina job? Very few. Sure, he has some work to do on his staff, and he may not get that 100% right the first go around. Plus, he has never assembled a staff, to my knowledge, period. Uh, now, now he ha- he hasn't been a head coach, so obviously you don't. But I- I'll say this. Shane, when Spurrier was at South Carolina, and even when he was with Virginia Tech with his dad, Shane had a big hand in sort of recommending people, that kind of thing. And most of his uh, – Most of his, if you hear clicking in the background, my dog Red is. I don't know what he's doing. A little dance or something. I don't don't know. Uh, That's the clicking noise. Uh, You know, and most of his stuff's been been spot on. I mean, and I look at this staff too, and you know, obviously you'd rather the hole be someplace that didn't negatively impact you as much as offensive coordinator, but <laughs> yeah, especially, and I've seen people say this, and I understand the fans' perspective of, gosh, just went through all this bad offense for years and years and years and, you know, couldn't figure that out, and now you got a bad offense again. Um, and I'll remind everyone that, you know, you can't, you can't take what happened with Muschamp and apply that with Shane Beamer at all. Including the fact that, you know, fans wanted to see a better offense. Yeah. I mean, you know, just because of what happened. I mean, you, you, that, yeah, I, mean, I know you do, but Shane's not going to sit there and, and no coach worth a crap is going to sit there and go, well, what do the fans want? Okay. Well, you know, I mean, Shane's trying to hire the best coordinators he can. Now, did he, was Marcus Satterfield a great decision to this point? No, it's terrible. It's not a good decision. I understand why he made it. The hire made sense at the time, talking about what they were going to do. But, you know, the issues are way more systemic than just, oh, play calling, or, oh, just this, or, oh, just that. A lot of it's how they're trying to teach it and what they're trying to teach and all this other stuff. But anyway, so, yeah, Shane has helped assemble a staff before. The D has played good enough for us to win more, and we have uh, Coach Clayton. Kudos, Clayton White, a Broyles Award finalist again this year, uh, and I, and I agree. And look, man, the the rushing defense numbers aren't pretty. Ninetieth in the country, and they've given up some yards, a bunch last week against Tyler Beatty. But I think I think everybody can live with what the defense has been this year, given the personnel losses, uh, especially on the back end, and then the way they've played and. You know this team this year is it's a lot like the 2017 defense in a lot of ways in terms of they force a lot of turnovers. You know they they get they get enough to where with a competent offense the Gamecocks should have won more games so far than what they have. Uh, running backs when they have had time to get the job done are doing well and Quandre White has showed he deserved more touches. Um, so he's, Jeffrey says Montario hardest. He's another win by Shane Beamer. You know, I, I you know, I, the running backs are hard to evaluate right now. And I don't know how much actual coaching you do at running back. I know, I know Des did a great job last year, getting, uh, getting Harris to go up to another level. And then especially with Deshaun Fenwick, I thought, you know, when Fenwick came, everybody was high on his potential, but he was also a guy that, uh, needed coaching. Now, a lot of running backs don't, you know, but, but this guy does did and he got him right. But, you know, I've thought Des Kitchings was one of the best running backs coaches in the country for years. Uh, and he, and he was come to find out. So, um, you know, and hardest he's working in recruiting and all that. Our tight ends been targeted have done well and was asking that what has been asking them saw him blocking downfield. And Jeffrey says, Eric Cameron needs a shot. Uh, at the offensive coordinator position. He's a championship-winning head ball coach himself. Uh, I'm likely leaving other great hires out. Uh, you know, I, I think, obviously, and Gray. I think and Gray may be the best defensive backs coach in the country. Just looking it at that, I mean, you maximize Darius Rush and you maximize Jalen Foster and you, you get all these other guys, Cam Smith playing – Great, uh, I like what he's done with Marcellus Die. I mean, that's a lot. And then Clayton White, too, he coaches linebackers. He played linebacker, but his whole career has been secondary. So it's not a surprise this secondary is playing above itself right now. Uh, as far as Kimry being the OC, you know, uh, probably the time to have done some, some kind of interim OC would have been, shoot, back in uh, the open date, back during the open date. There's speculation that it happened, but I uh, – it wasn't so. Um, so Shane's inaugural staff has done a fantastic job. Plus, we're one game off our average in SEC play. That's true. You know, usually Gamecocks win. You know, three between three and five in the in the league every year, and you know they're at two right now. They had two last year. What was it? They had three. Surprisingly enough, in twenty nineteen. Um, beat Auburn, which we could very well do. You're bowl eligible. Uh, then old Dabo and gang will come limping into town. Yeah, I looked at Clemson's injury report this past week. Wow. They have a great shot at the state title. We can beat Clemson. It won't be a high-scoring affair since neither offense is very prolific. It can be a 3 nothing Carolina win. Parker kicking get the game winner. Wow. Uh, what a season. It is what history will say, no matter what the keyboard warriors spew. I believe we were sitting at 20 or so in the recruiting class rankings, went out including a bowl that will rise. Then you start 2022 with some real momentum and those empty seats will fill. Playing at williams Bryce will be dreaded again like it once was. Let's all take a breath and give Shane some time to get his staff completely dialed in and his type of players he wants on his squad. Every ball coach, head ball coach, serves at least four seasons to get his staff and players all like he wants unless something really goes off track. Can't really see that habit in Shane, though. I'll say it's tough to be a game cop, but it's super fun when the winds are coming. So hang in, folks. Sorry for the length, but I did give you a break over the past several weeks. LOL, JC, what do you think? Can Shane do this? I have a lot of faith in Shane Beamer. I, I, I know that, you know, the offense is a problem. I think he knows that. I also have faith in him that he'll fix it. You know, I, I think that... The idea, you know, if you move forward for Marcus Satterfield, I think the idea is stay away from NFL guys. <laughs> uh, and look, not all NFL guys are bad. I mean, you know, you got some guys that are going to be pretty good, but I, I, I'd, I'd go with a college offense. And the first thing I would ask is how difficult is it for the players to learn? You know, I—that's I, the first. That's the first thing. And, and, and you kind of look around and, you know, some of the more successful teams across the country the last four or five years, and they've all had good offenses, but they're all college offenses and all are not complex, too complex to learn. And whoever's coaching them, good. they're good at teaching, good at teaching. And they got great players. Don't don't, don't get me wrong there. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I don't see a situation where Shane Beamer – is spins his wheels with coordinators. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I think this is probably it. As far as ah eh, messed up here, let's move forward. Now, now look, I, I I think with any offense, you know, a lot depends on the personnel next year and all that. No matter what you run, um, or people people mention Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's brother out at SMU. And, you know, great. I think that'd be a great offense. You know, it's college offense. You got some sunny dykes thrown in there. It's it's proven it's a system that's fun. Kids love to play in it. You can attract quarterbacks, but you're still going to need probably another year, I think, to get to build the receiving core to the point where you can say, all right, we're going to go into this game. They want to shut off the run. We can just throw it all over them or whatever. Um, but you know, 110th nationally. Um, <laughs> uh, for a while there, their gamecocks are averaging one touchdown a game. I mean, you know, uh, I do think instantly you can be better than that. Um, but uh, whoever gets the OC or whatever they do on offense next year, I think, I think you have to, uh, you have to be realistic about next year. I don't, I don't know the gamecocks are going to start scoring 40 points a game. Uh, no matter who gets it. Now, what you look for next year is, are right, you're 110th. Maybe you look to be in the top 50, you know, uh, and go from there. Maybe. I don't know. You know, I think winning would just be fine. <laughs> you know, I, I think the the Gamecocks were seven and three, nobody would care where the offense was ranked. Uh, and the Gamecocks beat Clemson, not a lot of people are going to look back on this season and go, oh, God, 110th in offense or whatever. Thanks, Jeff. Glad I held that one over for you. Philip says, JC, I'm going to try to keep this email short because I could give you a laundry list of questions and comments on how this team is the most confusing and frustrating I've seen in years. The defense has improved and continues to make plays. But after 10 games, I feel like I have more questions than answers when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. You and me both, brother. You and me both. Just my opinion, but what I've seen so far seems like the offense is trying to get too many players involved with special plays and schemes instead of just going with what is working and feeding the hot hand. You know it, it I thought that for a while um with in terms of special plays with players, but I don't see because it doesn't make any sense. All right, because the players that should be getting the ball, obviously, sometimes are not. And I'm like, huh, you know. <laughs> uh, I know that the uh, the Satterfield comment du jour this week was that, you know, oh, well, Jaquandre White's getting more carries now. So that means Juju McDowell's not getting as many. And I'm like, well, you know, last week, you know, you're – running pass plays, seven-step drops from under center, What what what's to keep you from, you know, putting Juju in and when they crash the end, you just throw it out there to him and he's probably still running because <laughs> that's Juju's game or throw it to him on a tall sweep, but that guy can hit the corner. You know, so I, I, I get, you know, when, when, when people talk about it's a good problem to have when you have too many playmakers – Uh, good coordinators find a way to make it all work. Bad coordinators that are, you know, too, uh, too obsessed with their own personnel groupings on play callings on play designs, doing it their way. They're not, I mean, you better, if you're going to do that, if you're just going to be like system, no matter what you better be, Mike Leach or Cliff Kingsbury or Steve Spurrier, Dan Mullen, or one of these guys that just has a system that's going to, going to kill. You know, I'll throw Scott Satterfield in uh when he's at App State and at Louisville now. Um, you know, that's a special preparation. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal. You know, you better be like that if you're gonna be too stuck with all right, well, this this personnel grouping's for this, this is for that. I also think there's a lack of creativity there. Uh, you know, look, I love to carry a joiner. Um as far as a player and an ambassador for the school and all that good stuff. And you know, I think getting 20 catches out of him this year, I think I think he's sitting at 19, something like that, it's been great. You know, that's about what I thought. But man oh man, you know, there's other guys that have more unique skill sets, and and you know, I, I don't know. I don't know about all that. Um I don't I don't understand why Marion Brown has not gotten one deep ball this year because I don't think his game is uh, reverses and bubble screens, you know. I, I just – I think I think Juju McDowell is that kind of guy. I think White's that kind of guy. They, they're technically running, but I think Jaheim Bell, you throw it out there too. But I think Brown is more of a guy that – he's like Demir Bird. Remember Demir Bird? Demir Bird's still playing. He's just a guy you go, hey, he's not that big. Run running long. Um And with the way they haven't been able to score this year, shoot, why not? You get a cheap one. Anyway, uh, feeding the hot hand, at, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, what running back? When is it? None of the – Marshawn Lloyd would be the only one I would say, yeah, I feel bad for him. Uh, and it hadn't been that they hadn't fed Marshawn when he's had the hot hand. It's just like Marshawn gets something going as a big play. You're like, wow, he could break out. The next thing you know, somebody's – And I, 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 I would, honest to God, if I were Marshawn Lloyd, get in somebody's face. Um, and say, hey, look, you know, why, why is this continuing to happen? You know, this is a simple play, you know, and, and on that play, I don't know that the play calling was the issue other than they just turned a guy completely loose, blew him up in the backfield, and there's another fumble. You know, he, he gets rocked. The other backs doesn't seem like that happens. He gets rocked, and it ain't him. So, hmm, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I feel bad. Of all the guys on offense, I feel bad for. Besides feeling bad for Jason Brown last week, I feel I feel a little bit more bad for Nick Mews, too, because he's they could target him a lot more. I think. But uh, Marshawn Lloyd is who I feel the worst for. I mean, you just you know rips off a twenty-five yard gain, uh, and then boom, gets robbed. I mean, probably see stars. Um, and that's a shame because I, you know, I, you know, people speculate all the time. Lloyd's going to transfer because he's, you know, he's not from around South Kim. He's from Delaware or whatever. I, and I, I don't necessarily see that happening because of who he is, but I couldn't rule it out and couldn't blame him because you can't sit there and just get rocked, you know, and, and it's him. It's only him that, that it seems to happen. The others don't go, go They don't go very far, but Well, he takes—he just takes shots, and it's usually after he does something good. So I don't know what's going on there as far as the hot end. I understand trying to keep players engaged, Phillip goes on, especially since it's free agency every season with players coming and going, but square peg and round hole will not work. Agreed. Square peg and round hole will not work, and you, you stand a better chance of holding on to your players when you have a better offense and have success than to try to appease everybody with, with playing time and touches and, and all that. But, I you know, look, the, the Florida game, there's a way you can – everybody can be involved. There you go. You know, Lloyd had – White and Harris had the bulk of the carries. Lloyd had seven and had a big run. Juju McDowell in the red zone. You, you got to be creative when we have four backs. And And I – that's the most shocking thing to me and why – Initially, and I was like, well, this Satterfield hire may make sense because on paper, in, in the public statements and, and what people talked about, that's supposed to be what he's doing, you know, what he's good at, finding a way to get everybody on the field or whatever. And, and you look at the tight ends and running backs this year, just hadn't, they hadn't really used them creatively except for a handful of times. Uh, it's bull crap. I think we have to recruit our way out of the battle line play. I, it's not only bull crap, Phillip, it's unrealistic. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen unless you're not planning on being able to block for three years. Uh, that's just how it is. And people can talk about the transfer portal all they want. And they need to go get three or four guys or whatever. And you're not going to find three or four good ones. You know, the, the portal gobbles offensive linemen up. Nobody – because everybody struggles, especially in the South. So, you know, you've got, what, 19, 18 on scholarship at Carolina right now. you got you got to get those guys better depending on who comes and goes. Now, if they find a good tackle in the portal, they're going to probably go on him. Ju- Juco guy, they'll probably go on Older guys. But it, it, it's unrealistic to think you're going to recruit your way out of this because it's not. It's not that. It's not that. There are some guys who don't need to be playing, and I'm not going to call them out by name. You could probably guess. But rest of the guys, it's not a an ability issue. Uh, the same produced group produced the SEC's leading rusher a year ago. Yeah, and and look, everybody that says it's all Kevin Harris, they're not watching the football games from last year. They didn't, they're not going back and watching because uh, yards before contact for Kevin Harris were way up there. He had holes. Okay. Let's not let's not sit there and pretend like he was Marcus Lattimore and breaking fifteen tackles on a run. He broke some tackles, don't get me wrong, but you know, let's not sit there and pretend like that's what was happening because that's not. Go watch it. I don't think Greg Atkins is completely to blame for the terrible O line play, considering Satterfield was an assistant O line coach when we're coming to South Carolina. Yeah, and I think that's a problem. I almost wish he wasn't. Uh, I almost wish. You know, it was just like, all right, let's just basic block. Because <laughs> I think that's that's part of the problem is that it gets too cute and there are too many different things the offensive linemen have to have to think about and do when you're trying to change things up. Um, and sometimes, you know, like I'll, I'll use an analogy, how about that? Because there was a – I don't remember what movie it was, but the guy was hanging out in the uh, grocery store trying to find the perfect egg. Crazy guy, right? Off his freaking rocker. I think if he's spending all that time trying to find the perfect egg, you're going to miss breakfast a lot. Foundation of any day, breakfast. <laughs> so if that makes any sense, I think there's a lot of trying to find the perfect egg and not a lot of, like, cracking eggs, making omelets, serving breakfast around South Carolina's offense right now. I I'm I'm I I literally could write a book of good analogies about this offense this season. I don't know if that's a good one or not. Perfect egg. It seems like there's a lot of trying to find the perfect egg. Uh, he said, not sure if it's connected or not, but I do find it interesting considering questionable communication breakdowns on pass protection and scheme blocking. They say it every week. They say it every week, and I don't, I don't know why the people that sit there and defend the play the, – not the play calling. The play calling is different than the offense and how it's being taught and this scheme and, and what they're asking them to do. People sit there and defend that and miss this every week. Well, what's wrong with the offensive line? Communication, communication. It's never like, well, we got a bunch of guys that just can't play. We're just not very good up front. And not that they would say that, but I don't think they'd be communication over and over and over and over again, communication, communication. Well, what are you asking them to communicate? Because we're 10 games in. We're 10 games in. There weren't communication issues against Florida. Oh, go out to Missouri and lo and behold, here are 16 different formations and a bunch of checks and we're putting Jason Brown under center. Yeah, sure, communication sucks. You know, college offenses, you, you can't commu- over communicate, man. You know, you're not going to, ha- even if you have overwhelmingly good person, let's use Alabama, for example. And uh, like I said, I have some connections out there. And, you know, just asking casually around, what's Bill O'Brien do? You know, here's Bill O'Brien. He's in the NFL for all those years. Probably Bill O'Brien is a good play caller at the NFL level. He's, he's probably not a good GM or maybe not a good head coach at the NFL level, but a good play caller and good play caller in college, good coaching college scales it way, way back. They don't ask them to do like, they're not asking Bryce young to do what Deshaun Watson did for the Texans. Okay. And they don't ask any quarterbacks to do that at the college level. Most of them, Uh, if you do have a super smart guy, like a, like an Eli Manning at Ole Miss his, when he got older, or Peyton, or, you know, even a Joe Burrow his senior year, the prop was kind of more of a call-it-and-haul-it-let's-go kind of deal than a super-duper intricate checking system. Um, you, you just can't do it. You, you just can't do it. Um, at the college level, there's not enough time. And, you know, even if you recruit well at quarterback – which Alabama does, and Bryce Young's an outstanding player. You know, he's in his second year. You know, he, he's not a guy that could go out there and do a bunch of crap like Mac Jones. And, and Mac Jones, they didn't ask him. To, I mean, you know, so anyway, if Alabama and those schools are not doing it, and with the players they've got, you know, Georgia's definitely not doing anything like that. Even though they do have, it's a pro style quote unquote pro style offense. Then, you know, you, you just can't. You just can't do it, and and that's the difference. You know, Shane Beamer had some comments like people hear pro style offense, they get crazy. Uh, no, it, it's not. It, it, most offenses these days are pro style. That's why I kind of came off of my can't run a pro style offense at South Carolina. I had no idea what they were going to be asking them to do play to play. If I'd have known that, I'd have been off the bandwagon quickly. Um, because there's a there, the definitions of pro style offenses are different. Now I still think. College offenses, uh, a lot of them that bubble up from the high school level and the lower divisions are, are the way to go. Uh, and you know, I mentioned Alabama earlier. What they do uh, is uh, have a lot of good players, <laughs> uh, but they do RPS. You know, that, they and and I think for Saban, he's kind of comfortable with that because it's hard to stop those. Uh, and a lot of, a lot of teams do still do RPS, but you know, you look at the best offenses. Uh, And and this is, again, what I love about the Bryles coaching tree. I don't think – I don't know if Carolina will end up with somebody for that or not, but that type of deal, you know, you can be run heavy like Arkansas and be fine. You can be pass heavy like Ole Miss and be fine. You can just go really, really fast like Tennessee and be fine. Uh, You know, it works. And it's simple because it had to be taught at the high school level. And you also, when you run offenses like that – those offenses have evolved over time, you know, bubbling up from high school because in high school, you don't, you, you just kind of play with the hands you're dealt. You don't, I mean, there is some recruiting that goes on at that level. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, you're one year you may have a quarterback that can't throw, one year you may have a quarterback that can throw, one year you may have no receivers. I mean, it, it, you're at the mercy of like school districts and you got to find a way to make it work. You know, whereas in the NFL you can you can trade and, and sign, and, and you can you can sign talent to fit what you want to do. In, in college, you, you can sign talent, but you're not always going to have everything. Even at Alabama, even at Clemson, even at Georgia, so you better not have something that's just ridiculously hard to learn. Now, South Carolina, all these guys are in their first year in the system. Luke Doty's young. Zeb Nolan is older, but on his like third system in however many years. Jason Brown is a transfer. I mean, all these guys, this is all new to them. But I also strongly believe that some of the things they're asking, some of these guys do are not even, they don't even make sense as far as fit to skill set. So anyway, I hope for the best these last two games, Phil goes on to say. I'll be at Willie B. this Saturday taking my son to his first ever Carolina game. And I can't wait, win or lose. I'll still support this program. I believe that's what makes Carolina fans special because when we do win, we appreciate it. I believe this program is a sleeping giant. If ever catches fire, watch out. Thanks again for all you do. Your thoughts, Phil. Uh, Yeah, man, look, taking your son to a Carolina game is probably, that's probably the most important thing I'll say on this podcast today. That's how much I believe in it. I've been preaching that South Carolina football. Gamecock football is about family. Um, So many people from across the great state of South Carolina for years have come and tailgated with their family and eaten some chicken, drank some cold ones, played some cornhole, tossed the ball around. You see dads tossing the ball around with their sons. That's what it's all about, man. It's really what college football is all about. You go to Clemson, you see the same thing. Georgia, you see the same thing. Alabama same thing. Florida same thing. Just more jean shorts in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know, so that's it. That, that that's the deal there and um yeah, it, 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 a win wins the next two weeks would really uh really be a positive thing. I mean, how many times you I mean, who out there likes losing to Auburn and Clemson all over and over and over again? <laughs> you know, uh, so that's the thing there. All right, Sean says. JC just saw on Instagram: North Carolina landed a blue chip receiver from Virginia over Clemson. Many thought the Tigers would land. I did too. Now sites are saying Antonio Williams is their main target. Calls for concern are too late in the process to sway him. Side note, how is UNC landing all these blue chips recruits? Is it the Jordan brand? Because if so, Beamer needs a flight booked to Nike headquarters immediately with a tent camped outside ready to speak to Phil Knight. Well, if it was the Jordan brand, you know, you think Florida would be, quote, and I don't buy that Florida's struggling in recruiting. We think they'd be, quote, unquote, struggling? No. Now, the Jordan brand means a lot at University of North Carolina because of who Michael Jordan is. Um. Why are they recruiting well? Why are they landing blue-chip recruits? It's simple. Mac Brown. Uh, Mac Brown is say what you want. He's still a great recruiter. Um, and, you know, I think there's all, 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 always question, you know, when a guy comes back to a place as to whether or not he'll be successful. And on the field, it really hasn't – you know, you really hadn't – I mean they're five and five folks. they got the same record the game do uh but I'll say this now now what, what's impressive about what they've done this class compared to previous classes is, yes, they have you know put a fence around the state of north carolina you now there are i have there have been some that have leaked out, but what they're doing in Virginia. And taking advantage of Virginia Tech, having some coaching, you know, moves. You know, Virginia, really, since Mike London left, hadn't been, you know, extremely competitive for the top kids in that state. But Bronco Mendenhall wins anyway. You know that. Uh, Seven guys out of the state of Virginia. Seven. Okay. Dre Bly, who's from Virginia, is the guy that's sort of headed all this up and You know, you look at it, it's Richmond, Lynchburg, and 757. I mean, they're they're killing it. Right now in state of Virginia, they have of the top 13, they have one, two, three, four, five, six. Six of the top thirteen. And they have four of the top five from Virginia. Uh, And I'll tell you this right now, Virginia is a big state with a lot, puts out a lot of football players. So is North Carolina. They have population wise, they're big and all that good stuff. Well, well, look, man, I mean, you start getting the top guys from Virginia and North Carolina, the university of North Carolina, you're going to have enough talent to compete for a playoff berth. I mean, think about like how good Virginia tech was when they were just kind of and they were still losing like the five star guys or whatever out of out of virginia but when they were just like virginia heavy you know now think about doing it with north carolina and virginia kids that said how much longer is mike brown going to coach uh i know he came out and said he wasn't going to retire honest to god with this recruiting class i probably wouldn't retire either <laughs> uh but there's talk out there there's talk all four power 5 north carolina jobs could be open with guys taking other jobs, people retiring, whatever. Uh, I think we're probably looking more at 2022. I think Mac's going to give it another shot. But, you know, Sam Howell's probably going to be gone and this year. Obviously, Mac Brown does not look like he's having a lot of fun uh, so far. But, yeah, that, that, that's North Carolina's doing it because of Mac Brown and because and he knows how to get it done. And honest to God, the, uh, the Virginia connection with Dre Bly, has been unbelievable. I mean, this guy, this guy's just gone in there. He's from Chesapeake, Virginia. He played at North Carolina. Uh, he has been an unbelievable, unbelievable staff member for them and recruiter. You know, he's a star. You know, he's legit. Some guys are like good recruiter, not good recruiter, whatever. Dre Bly. It was a great player, too. <laughs> Legit recruiter, especially in that state. Now, you know, what happens when Mac hangs it up? I think South Carolina's got an opportunity because I think, you know, Shane's got some connections in Virginia. Obviously, a lot of them do in that state. And, you know, transition at Virginia Tech. Uh, and that's one thing I've heard about that open job is that they need a recruiter. And, you know, you can you can bet your bottom dollar here, they're looking at a, a division opponent in the SC, ACC you know, taking what, seven of the top 13, four of the top five out of Virginia. And, you know, they're, they're used to losing some guys, you know, top rated guys and, and the Hokies are. And then they, they kind of make up for it. But that many and going to a, going to a division rival, you know, a division team you play every year, that's a tough, tough pill to swallow. Uh, so there's that there. Uh, as far as Antonio Williams goes, I, I still don't think that, in spite of the late offer that if Clemson goes in and goes guns a blazing on him, I, I don't think Clemson's out. I'll just put it like that. Now that's always been the caveat with him though. This is known. This has been known. Uh, and, and look, if, if I were Antonio Williams and, you know, you're finally getting around to offering me, you know, what I, what I kind of think about it a little more. Yeah, probably. But, you know, because I think Antonio Williams is better than the Andre Green kid that they just got North Carolina, that North Carolina just got the Clemson Ward. I just, uh, and I know he's rated crazy high now. He wasn't, but he is now. Uh, but I just don't. You know, if if I were, if I'm Clemson, I, yeah, I've got I've got some Andre Greens. I don't have a lot of Antonio Williams. I'll leave it at that. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. But I, I am not going to sit there and go, ah, Clemson's not getting him because I that that has been a school he's had an eye on for a while. You know, as far as Jordan Brand goes, you know, I I, I don't think it would be a bad idea when the Under Armour contract runs out or whenever it's whatever. – let's say whenever it's prudent – if the game costs can work, Jordan brand. Now, right now, it's like one school per conference, and obviously Florida's got it. And, and, you know, then you got another school in the Carolinas. Will North Carolina care about that? I don't know. But Dawn Staley and the women's basketball program, this is how they could help, I think, the entire athletics department is you work that angle with Nike because Dawn Staley is Dawn Staley, you know. And girls buy shoes too. A lot. Women. Uh, so there's that marketing in and uh, it could impact your entire athletic department. And then, you know, people that gripe about her making 3 million or whatever, you know, there, there you go. She helps everybody else. But I think she, I think she helps everybody else anyway, but, uh, and, and I don't mind the 3 million. I'm not, now look, I'm not one of these people that that, that thinks that South Carolina should go trip over its heels and, you know, go all in on being a women's basketball program or school and put that above everything else. Uh, I think kind of what Tennessee did with the Lady Vols back in the heydays probably proved it. But uh, as far as helping with the Jordan Brown and Staley salary and all that, I don't mind at all. I mean, like that, it's a letter to the editor, Anderson Independent Mail. People thought it was an article. It was a letter to the editor we spend this much on women's basketball and don't spend enough on football. And that's, I, I just don't look, man, I know the budget numbers were what they were and I know they spend what they do on women's bat. but you, you have to spend on women's basketball, even if you're not good. I mean, they'd really be taking a bath if they weren't worth a crap in that sport because of title nine, you know, you have to do what you do for the men for the women. It's just how it is law of the land folks. So I don't mind that. I, I think Carolina spends plenty on football, uh, and I think the number was twenty five percent athletic budget on football for Carolina versus forty two for Clemson. I'd be curious to break that down and see, like, does Carolina sponsor more sports than Clemson? You know, what 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 is the actual breakdown there, as far as what goes where, and and what numbers are we counting? You know, are we counting? Facilities upgrade. I mean, does the Little John renovation count on Clemson's budget, or is that something separate? You know that kind of thing. But Jordan Brand, I think you know, and I and I, I believe you know, I, I think the next move, you know, for Carolina either needs to be, you know, try to secure the Jordan Brand. If you can get a good deal from Nike, just as a regular Nike school, do it. If you can get Adidas, and they're a little more hip and creative. I think I think that's a very attractive brand too these days. Unfortunately, I think Under Armour's kind of run its course, and I'm still not happy with the football uniform consistency and all that with them. But that's fine. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. That contract has a little ways to go. All right, Thomas. Thomas has been emailing me for years, man. Wouldn't it make sense for Beamer to tell, not request, but tell? Satterfield to go back to what was working for U against UF for the Auburn game. Yes, if he's serious about seeing the writing on the wall, you wouldn't give him. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lend credence to your personal insults here, right? Because I I think one of the dumbest hot takes ever is, you know, he's not gonna fire his friend that was in his wedding, and I mean that, that's totally irrelevant to how bad the offense is. Okay. He didn't hire him because he was in his wedding. Hired him because he was familiar with him. Hired him because he had a plan that on paper made sense. Doesn't make sense, though, once you get out there. Sometimes things on paper make sense. Then they get out there and they don't. It's life. It's football. But you wouldn't give him free reign to continually change the offense game by game. Where am I wrong there? You were not wrong. Uh, you're absolutely right. Why would he sit back and continue to allow this unless he thinks it's the best approach? Uh, I'm not sure that he expected all that against Missouri, but um, that's fine. For me, if I'm Beamer, I tell my OC to stick what was working for the Auburn game or you're out before the last game of the season. Firing him one game early, if he refuses to do what works, doesn't really hurt you. And I agree with that in theory. Uh, I also would be concerned because the Clemson game – I, I don't care what happens this weekend. Clemson's beat up. They have not, you know, shown the ability to be the explosive offense they've been. They, they've done a good job, to their credit, coming back and winning some football games. Don't get me wrong. But that game's important, right? You know, I throw the records out. Uh, and, you know, I look at Christian Robinson – which, which is the, the same thing would be happening in South Carolina. You, you'd have somebody with that level of experience or worse at the college level calling plays for one game. And like Christian Robinson calling the Florida defense last week, and they go 52 to Sanford. So I do think it would hurt you if you do it at that point. But day after, I mean, the, the clock is ticking the day after, right? When an offense makes substitutions, the center official stands over the ball. Forcing the O to wait on the D to also make subs. Do you have any answers as to why with the clock running at the end of the half when Missouri Missouri's line change for the field goal, the center official spots the ball and then sprints out of the way all while we are trying to get guys on the field for our special teams unit? Why wouldn't he force the O to wait on the D? Just don't get why it's a race for special teams in that situation, but it's not on second and third down when subs are made. That's an interesting thing. Beamer was asked about that, I think, and said his understanding is they're not going to slow down play at that point, but you're right. I mean, because, you know, it, what's the difference between fourth down, second down, third down? Because it's not like you're, you have to kick a field goal there. You can still run an offensive play. So that that, that seems weird to me. And you're right. I mean, that's very, very weird. Uh, you know, but hey, look, man, officials, you're never going to get a good answer. <laughs> Those guys don't have to answer questions of the media. The league office is very, very evasive. Uh, you know, who, who was it? What was the coach the other day that said he's just going to quit sending in plays to the league office because it never, never works? Mark Stoops. So that I'm just going to quit sending plays in, you know. And then, like, in the Big 12, Texas Tech's announcers got suspended by for going. And I I listened to that. I didn't think what they said was too bad. One guy said bullshit. But that, you know, these days, man, I hear, like, F-bombs places (laughs) randomly. And I'm like, whoa, 20 years ago, that would have gotten you a fine. Uh, but, yeah, you're right, Thomas. You brought up a good point. Thomas, is probably one of your best emails ever. I appreciate it. Tristan says, since there isn't much good to talk about in Carolina football, and, again, this is the I Help Consulting mailbag, let me ask you a hypothetical. If schools could only recruit in-state talent, who would have the best team year in and year out? I guess it would be Florida, Georgia, Texas, Southern Cal, Ohio State, or Michigan. I think it would be a, a program in those states – but like you have to ask yourself with Florida, you know, with Florida, Florida State, Miami, UCF, who, who would do that? Because in recent years, especially with regards to Florida State and Miami, I think the gators have a little better talent than those guys. They've almost taken the wrong guys, and you look at a UCF and US and there's guys there that could help them. I think I think if those schools in Florida were forced only to get in-state talent. Uh, they'd probably be better off, you know, because I think they overthink it. Uh, obviously, Georgia would be Georgia, uh, LSU to me, uh, in state talent, Louisiana would be fun, Ohio State, yes, Michigan, yeah, Michigan's kind of a state they produce some talent, but you. You probably have to go 70 30 with Michigan State, and then Michigan recruits the crap out of like Ohio and California. They're not allowed to do that. That talent base in that state is, is not. It's like I think their NFL numbers are right around where South Carolina's are, or maybe less. You know, North Carolina would be good. The Virginia schools would be good. Maryland, I think, dare I say, would be Maryland and Rutgers. You know, Rutgers are get everybody out of New Jersey. How about that? That's a great hypothetical, Tristan. That's a great hypothetical. But definitely your Ohio states, you know, some school in California, some school in Texas, some some school in Florida. But you know what? The, the, those schools in those bigger states that have more than one, like California and Texas and Florida, you know, you, you, you almost have to split them. So you, you start to have starting to kind of have to wonder like, wow. Now the, the the flip side of that is those states have so many players. The the well does not necessarily run dry. I mean, you, and you look at the NFL numbers, um, when you do the draft, and you say, well, where did this guy go to high school? There's always guys from Texas and California and Florida that did not go to an in-state school that maybe went off somewhere that do well. It would hurt programs like Oklahoma, you know, and Michigan, and Oklahoma State, Michigan State, and Nebraska would probably be, that would probably be the end of Husker football. Um, you know, those types of programs, Notre Dame would be completely gutted because Notre Dame's in Indiana. So no chance, no chance you're going to find enough talent in Indiana for Indiana, Purdue and Notre Dame to be good. Uh, so they would be completely screwed. Who else would be screwed? Wisconsin screwed, very screwed. (laughs) Tennessee to a certain extent would be screwed. Now that state's getting better. Kentucky would never win again. Ever. If it was just in-state Louisville, too. Never. Kiss them in the butt goodbye. Uh, you know, South Carolina and Clemson would would have to split the in-state guys, but I'd, I I I think Carolina and Clemson would be okay. You know, would they would would Clemson kind of come back down to earth? Yes. You know, would South Carolina ever win the SEC, I don't know. But, it, you know, that, that would be the problem uh, with those two. Alabama-Auburn would be interesting, too, uh, from that standpoint. So, great hypothetical, Tristan. I appreciate it. And, hey, maybe there will be something good to talk about in the next two weeks of Carolina football. Who knows? Who knows? Mark says, Auburn game thoughts, the easiest and the most, most obvious key to the game is how we block Auburn's defense. Uh, But another big key is how our D-line handles their O-line. I believe we have an advantage on the D-line. We have to play at a higher level than we did against Missouri. Otherwise, Tank Bixby is going to do a Tyler Beatty impression on us. I agree. I'm going to also say this, Mark, for for a lot of you guys out there. When you're talking about stopping the run, it's not always the D-line. A lot of times the D-line's job is to engage blockers to keep them off the linebackers, but then somebody goes outside or hits a hole, then it's all the linebackers and safeties. And I'll say this, game guys did not tackle well against Missouri. Uh, And and I'll also say I do not believe for a second that the interior D-line at Missouri played what I would call well, you know, at all. Uh, You know, and then that's credit to them outside runs with Beatty, short passes that they did with Bazelak. That's kind of designed to neutralize that kind of thing. So, you know, Auburn, it's going to be a different animal. And I think uh, Auburn runs a lot of two tight ends, that kind of thing. Gamecocks defense, the line, the linebackers, everybody, they're going to have to get down and dirty in this one. Uh, But like I said, you know, Tank Bigsby's numbers compared to maybe what the expectation was – have been very dare I say pedestrian this year forty five point four yards per game if you take away one hundred and forty yards against Ole Miss and SEC play sixty one point two otherwise I I expected Tank to be more up there and have more you know bigger games but I'll also say that talking to my Auburn folks from the start they thought their offensive line was suspect you know that that's something that never got solved down there under Malzahn and how Harson kind of you know, inherited it. So I think, I think just like kind of like Mike Bobo does and Brian Harson did at Boise, they're, they're I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but their play calling and scheming and all that is what's allowed them to have a successful season to this date uh, in terms of offensively. And then I think they're really good against the run on defense. Six and four, though, you know, have they have some good moments, especially on the road? And they have some moments where, you know, like last week where they blew a 28 to three lead. So we'll see. I, 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 like I said, I picked 21 to 17 in this one, which I think, I think South Carolina will cover the spread. Uh, But it's not this game, even though it's a team historically that's owned the Gamecocks, it's not like an impenetrable force of a defense is coming in here and, you know, one of the best offenses in the country is coming in here. This is a Cadillac. All right. I'll, I'll put it this way. Cadillac Williams and Kenny irons and Ronnie Brown, uh, Cam Newton, Michael Dwyer, all that they're not walking through that door. <laughs> and Bo Nix is not walking through that door. TJ Finley is maybe he's a game killer. Maybe last year was just because the game Cocks didn't get pressure on him, but, uh, we'll see sort of what happens again. One of my keys there, Mark, and thanks for the email, uh, is, hey, look, you know, third and six, seven, eight, that helps the Gamecocks. Third and five, four, three, that helps. That helps wardam Eagle. So, anyway. All right. That does it. Don't forget the big Gamecock preview show today with myself and J.B. and Goldwater and Michael Flint. Uh, starts, I think, at uh, – one Eastern time live on YouTube or wherever, but you can also get it uh, on podcast form. I'll have all that on the big spur later. Thanks for hanging out with me, hanging out on the big spur. This will conclude inside the game podcast for this week. Also don't forget had a hell of a JC and Morgan uh, podcast earlier with a uh, coaching carousel news. Uh, lots of stuff that was myself, Mike Morgan, and now Michael Haney's joining us Um if you have friends and I'm, I'm, I'm going to request this, if if you have friends that are fans of other schools, um, you want to help me out, send them a link to the JC and Morgan podcast if you like it, because we're trying to kind of expand our audience for that. Obviously Mike Morgan and I both have ties to South Carolina, but we don't just, we, we, we actually talk more about other programs and stuff. And Mike, of course, ESPN, SEC network, all that. Um, uh, you know, and if if they like podcasts and they're fans of other schools and college football, I'd love to love to have them listen. And if they don't like it, fine. But if they do, great. All right, so that that's kind of my request for you, my uh, loyal audience here on ITG uh, for this week, November nineteenth. JC Sherbert signing off. Hope you folks have a wonderful weekend. Back next week with some pods. It's it's Thanksgiving, but. We'll be back next week with with obviously some pods. It'll be Clemson week too, so it'll be an important deal. Anyway, folks, hope you all have a wonderful weekend, and we'll holla at you soon.